International Orienteering Podcast Mapping Compass Navigation Skill Orienteering Competition like International Orienteering Podcast It's really great to welcome you to this uh, pre-Christmas special episode of the International Orienteering Podcast and uh, today we have to summary the year 2022 and uh, give you uh, some updates of the news in the orienteering world um, because there's still something going on or what do you say Ivo? Yeah it's uh, it's been a quite quiet period the last few weeks uh, so not a lot to uh, not a lot to talk about about fresh stuff coming in but uh, we have seen some news for example the last Runner has been picked for Team Emit, uh, one of the biggest clubs in Scandinavia or in the whole world are searching for a, for a new coach. So there's uh, some stuff to talk about as well. And we will go out, give out some uh, prizes for the 2022 season or at least uh, shout outs for uh, some, uh, some uh, big performances and uh, orienteer of the year and so on. So this will yeah. be really exciting, I think. Yeah, you know, we are still a small business, so we can't give out big trophies. But, uh, uh, of course, uh, the main reason to do orienteering is uh, for fame and respect, isn't it? And we can give a lot of respect. Yeah, the the respect and the shout-outs telling you a lot about uh, who has performed good. But uh, we start at the first things first. Uh, uh, the last runner for uh, Team Emmet uh, is uh, Ana Toledo Navarro, a Spanian uh, girl. Uh, what do you think about uh, this selection? Uh, yeah, so Team Emmet, they had selected seven runners and then had one open spot uh, because there was no Danish girls that had applied. And therefore, they went out to see if they could find someone from... Uh, a smaller orienteering nation and they found one in Spain and I think it's a really really good pick. Uh, Anna is still very young of course, she she's born in 2000 uh, so she belongs to the generation that uh, never got the chance to run a jaywalk in her last junior year and therefore we have seen plenty of runners that is born in 2000 that that has gone a little bit under the radar because they never got the chance to show themselves uh, at the last year in junior class where most runners make their first international breakthrough. Um, but she's had a really good season this year, uh, especially in sprint races. Uh, World Championship in Denmark, she was uh, really, really good. Uh, in the individual sprint, she was just outside the top 15. And in the knockout sprint, uh, she was in the top 10. She was... Uh, yeah, she finished third in the semifinal, uh, in one of the semifinals, two went to the final. So she ended up just outside the final, but a top 10 spot for a Spanish girl at World Championships, that's really, really unusual. Uh, so I think there's a lot to come from her in the future. And uh, for her uh, being in a team with, uh, uh, except her uh, Nordic runners and, uh, and training uh, towards uh, World Championship in Finland in 2025, uh, that uh, must be a, a quite good fit for her. Yeah, I think she has uh, really, really good uh, possibilities uh, because she's also running for Halden Ski Club. Uh, and we know that uh, if you want to 
come to Scandinavia to train orienteering, Halden is a great place to go. They have a lot of difficult, uh, demanding terrains. Uh, and now with Team Emich, you can go to more training camps in uh, in the Nordic countries. Uh, and I think for for Spanish runners, for Southern European runners, they have really, really good conditions for orienteering at home during the winter. Uh, probably better than the, the, the Nordic runners has in, during those months. Uh, but then, of course, the problem is that the, they 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 don't have an orienteering season like we have in Scandinavia during the summer. Uh, so for her to have the possibility to go to training camps, and she can go to the big relays with Halder Ski Club, and she can go with the with the Spanish national team to all the big international events. So I think it's hard to to get better possibilities than she than she will have now. So I'm looking really forward to see her development the next few years. So we can uh, call this, uh, this uh, exotic and uh, good uh, selection from uh, uh, Team Emmet. Yes, and hopefully this will turn out to uh, be a big success so that when Team Emmet maybe next year, if they want to make the team bigger, that they are looking for similar runners. Uh, because I think it's, uh, yeah, it's of course good to have stuff, uh, have an opportunity for the Scandinavian Nordic runners that are not in the national team, but uh, for international, the sake of international orienteering, I think it's even better if this opportunity can be given to uh, to people that doesn't have that opportunity at home and doesn't have a strong club that can support them. Uh, so hopefully she's just the first of several non-Nordic uh, runners in Team Emmet. So you're telling that uh, Halden is not a strong club uh, that can support? Uh, well, of course, if she was living in Halden, it would be something different. But I mean, when she is living in Spain, uh, it, it doesn't help her that Halden has great trainings on the weekdays when she is not there. Uh, so that's what I mean with the, the Nordic runners. They ha- often have the strong club, and the st- strong environment around them on daily basis. Uh, Southern European, Eastern Europeans that are running for Nordic clubs, they they have good support when they are going to uh, to train with the club. Uh, but of course, that's maybe just one or two or three weeks a year. Um, and of course, the environment at home is uh, more important for the development of the runner than what you can do on a few camps. Of course. Uh, but uh, now we can... Uh... Conclude on that one and uh, take a look at what we've seen uh, in the 2022 season. Uh, call it the summary of the season. And uh, we start uh, at the top of the list with the orienteer of the year. Uh, uh, how was it to select an orienteer of the year this uh, season? Uh, well, it's, uh, uh, it's never easy, but of course you have every year one or two or maybe three strong candidates uh, i think this year it's the same two that it would be would have been between also last year and it's a bit interesting in a way fun in a way that i think both of them had a worse season than last year uh, but they are still the best in the world and of course then i'm talking about uh, Alexanderson and Kasper Fosse. Uh, so i have to give the small edge to tove she won two gold medals at world championship she won European champ silver medal and relay gold, and she got the overall title. So she got just a little bit more than Casper managed to get this year. And therefore, I have to say Tove as the orienteer of the year. 
in 2022, even if I think that the 2022 version of Tuve is uh, not as strong as, or not as stable, uh, as I would say, as uh, some of the previous Tuve Alexander versions we have seen before. Uh, no, uh, it was uh, a, a, a strike in last year's uh, World Champs in Czech Republic, and then when you uh, only get two out of three uh, World Champs goal, uh, that's a uh, Maybe not a disappointment, but it's not uh, as good as it was uh, last year. I mean, she has put the bar so high for herself. I mean, you have the uh, the performances, for example, back in the World Championship in Östfold before the COVID pandemic, where she was winning the long distance with an ocean of time. Uh, and then, of course, the full strike last year at Czech Republic. Uh, so, I mean, every time she doesn't win, it's kind of a whoa feeling. Uh, but I think that uh, some of the girls are getting closer to her and I'm tempted to say that uh, we should get more used to Tove not winning every race. And uh, maybe that's uh, healthy for the sports. Of course, of course. It's uh, for us that are following from the sideline it's uh, it's much more exciting if if the result is not given uh, on beforehand. Uh, so I'm looking forward to to the big international races next year, and I think it will be open also in the women's class. Uh, if we then continue to look at the best single performance of the year, uh, that would be a quite a difficult category to uh, point out a winner. Yeah, I mean there is during a year there are so many good performances. Uh, but of course, it's easy to uh, to say that we need to look for the the top stage for the really best performance of the year. And I mean, there are some really good candidates: Tuva Alexandersson in knockout sprint at World Championship, uh, Simona Ebersol at European Champs middle distance. I think looking at the first half of that race was almost perfect, but then she made some mistakes in the end and lost a little bit of time to the to the best split time. So I'm going for Kasper Fosse at the Sprint World Championship this year. Uh, there were 22 controls on the course and he was outside the top five on only three out of those 22 legs. Uh, and on these three, three legs where he was out of a top five split time, he lost four, two and two seconds to, to the winner on the leg. So we know that the World Championship Sprint this year was a tricky course. It was a very, very demanding route choices. And when he can run a race so close to a clean race as possible in such a tricky sprint, I think that's a really, really good performance. And so, yeah, and of, of, to perform that at the highest level at the race that matters the most the, the entire season, that's uh, really impressive and deserves the, the award for the best single performance of the year. Uh, what about uh, Hanna Lundberg, uh, J-Walk middle distance? Uh, is she losing because of uh, not the highest uh, stage of the orienteering arena when it's only J-Walk? Yeah, uh, of course, that was a really, really good race. Uh, but I mean, junior class is junior class. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it, it's still kind of a B event compared with the with the real deal. I mean, it's uh, it's in the elite class that's the one that matters and that is the absolute highest stage, yes. So, but she will have a chance to win this next year. 
yeah, that uh, will give her uh, the chance and she has uh, capacity to do so. Uh, some uh, who has uh, shown bigger uh, capacity when we may and then we may thought was uh, selected for the biggest surprise of the year. Who is that? Yeah, so Emily Kasiko, uh, silver medalist at European Champs, uh, middle distance home in Estonia in, in the summer. Uh, basically, I think it's the only race she has ever, international race she has ever been in the top 10. And before the race, even with, yeah, you know, it's a home ground, so maybe we could expect the Estonians to perform a little bit better than normally. We were still talking about the possibilities for maybe Timo Sild or Lauri Sild to, uh, to fight in the top. I don't think anyone outside Estonia or the, uh, those near the Estonian team had any real hopes for Evely Kasiku to fight for a medal. Uh, but she performed really, really great. Uh, almost a clean race. She was running at high speed. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a well-deserved silver medalist. Um, something completely on a higher level than what she has ever done before. And I think it will be hard for her to repeat uh, such a performance. Uh, but uh, it will be interesting to see if she can live up to uh, to the level she showed there and become a serious medal contender in other future international events. And, uh, and when we're talking about Evely Kasuku and the uh, Europeans, uh, we can also give a shout out to the IOF podcast. Uh, there is out one episode now where uh, she is talking about her preparation. And uh, yeah, she, is, she was doing really good preparations, I have to say. So uh, yeah, you can uh, go and listen to that pod uh, to her, what she is telling herself. And... Uh, and almost same, but not uh, just the same. The breakthrough through of the year. Um, that's a difficult uh, category to pick one. Yeah, and I think Evely Kosiku could have been a, a good candidate also for this award. But uh, looking past her here, as she got the, the big surprise instead. Uh, there are many good candidates for the breakthrough of the year. I mean, an obvious candidate is F. Andongen. Uh, winning a medal at the World Champs Sprint, knockout sprint. Uh, you have Albin Riedefeldt. That is uh, just just about Evan Dongen. Uh, she was not uh, as big surprise as uh, as uh, Kasiku because she have, uh, had shown earlier the season that uh, she could do that in a knockout. Uh, was that the? Uh, yeah, uh, I think because she, what she showed at the knockout sprint in Swedish champs. Uh, I think she showed there that she had the capacity to fight for uh, for the for the spots in the final. Uh, so I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it's a little bit surprised that she got the medal, but it wasn't a surprise that she would be on the start line in the final. Uh, even if, of course, it was a really good performance and a bit a lot higher than she had been doing previously internationally. Uh, so it was a surprise, but it was not really a big surprise. No. No, but that uh, yeah, but she is a candidate for the breakthrough. Yeah, and but uh, she is not making it. Uh, so there are other candidates. Albin Riedfeldt, for example, he has been around in the Swedish national team for many many years, been doing some uh, really good results internationally, but not quite been up there. Uh, and then this year he has had a fabulous season. I mean, it started with the uh, winning Tiumila with Ukoline, where he ran a. Uh, Fabulous last day, keeping Gustav Bergman at bay. Uh, 
Then he followed up with a, a really good last leg at Jukola as well. And then he came, he comes to big stuff in the summer and the autumn, where he first win the European Champs middle distance. And then his second place at the middle distance in the World Cup final in Davos, really manifesting his position as one of the best middle distance orienteers uh, in the world uh, as of now. Um, so he could be a really can- good candidate, but I've given it. To could I? Could I? Before you, you uh, could I uh, put my Norwegian Christmas hat on and uh, and suggest <laughs> uh, suggest uh, some Norwegian names there? Of course. Uh, uh, Arne Dyrkon, uh, number four in the Europeans, and Inge Lundenes with a medal from the World Games. Uh. Yeah, both are good candidates and. If you're looking at it this way, you could also mention Howard Aids mode that got the fourth place at World Championship. Um, so I mean, all those are good, uh, good candidates. But uh, yeah, uh, fourth place here, fourth place there, mid medal at the uh, World Games is not comparable to a medal at the European Champs or World Championship. So they fall a bit short. Uh, but Inge is the only in the Lunas family with a medal from the World Games. Yeah, I think Olav he never got uh, he, I, he never prioritized to run it um, if I'm not mistaken. And you have uh, not uh, either prioritized to run. Yeah, let's say it so. Yeah, it was yeah. never on my it was never on my list so yeah. Yeah. Nope. But uh, then we will conclude on the breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah, so I decided to give it to Albin's teammate, uh, Anton Johansson. Um, he was a big, big junior star back in the days, uh, winning several golds at Jaywalk back in 2014. And since then, you know, a lot of water under the bridge. He's been fighting on being in the national team for some events, but never being able to really get into the team, the Swedish team for the World Cup races, for European Champ, for World Championship, and to really get the chance uh, regularly. Uh, but this year he's been lifting his uh, level to to a new level, and I think uh, this year when you're looking at his uh, results with the big breakthrough medal at the European Champs, where he got the silver medal from an early start position, uh, let's not forget that. Uh, I think in 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 that kind of terrain, it's a benefit to start late, and he was starting in the middle of the field, so the guys behind him they had probably even better tracks than he had in the forest, but he almost got the gold medal there. So I would say that uh, he's, he's the kind of runner that you've been waiting for and waiting for and waiting for for so many years. And I think a lot of people maybe even thought that, ah, it's not going to happen. Uh, then this year it happened. And now he's really, well, he should be a really important uh, runner for the Swedish national team in the years to come. Do you think it's a relief that uh, we can stop talking about the jaywalk in uh, Bulgaria in 2014? Well, you know, until he wins an international event uh, at, at elite level, uh, those jaywalk gold medals is still the biggest win he has. So he will not, uh, he will not, uh, yeah, he will have to hear about those gold medals a, a bit further on, I guess. Uh, his father has uh, two uh, world champs medals from the 90s, so maybe he can uh, he can uh, contend his father after some years. No, yeah, uh, I think he, I would say that uh, um, uh, Switzerland next year it's probably 
not perfect for him. Uh, but Finland in two years, that should be terrain that is really, really well suited for Anthony Johansson. So maybe there he can even uh, surpass his father and take a gold medal. Who knows? Uh, time will show. Uh, but what we've seen this year is uh, many well-organized events. Uh, but we have to uh, give a shout-out for the best organizer of the year. Yeah, I mean, there are good candidates here. Uh, I think the, the World Championship in Denmark uh, was really good. Uh, but we are giving the prize to the JWOC organizers of Portugal. Uh, they had a very difficult time in the summer where the forest fires were everywhere. And yeah, you were not allowed to go into the forest. So I think in the summer they did great work to make two extra competitions on really, really short notice. Uh, and then they were able to do a really good second part of the of the event in November. Um, I think the courses was good. Uh, from what I heard, the maps was really good. And for us that was at home, it was uh, yeah, a really good TV broadcast from all events. So that was really fun to follow. And from what I've heard, all the runners and the coaches that were there that I've talked to, they were really happy with, uh, with everything. So yeah, well done uh, to the JWOC organizers. Uh, it's quite uh, good that they uh, yeah, managed to organize uh, almost two jaywalk in a year, and uh, also about the terrains that they could uh, could have a yeah a really good uh, long distance in Portugal uh, because it's often that uh, that uh, it's uh, good technical middle distances there, but uh, the long distance with the route choices and so on, it's a lack of that in Portugal. Often, but yeah. uh, this organizers managed to do uh, find a terrain where they could put uh, a really good long distance course. And then something that is like uh, hard to connect because the yeah the sprint race was in the summer and the long distance was in uh, was in November. Uh, but they had the same arena for the sprint and the long distance without that affecting the courses in a negative way. I think that's really fascinating. And really good job uh, with the course setting to be able to uh, to do that. Uh, we remember from the sprint that there was uh, they had two controls in the forest at the end of the sprint, and that, those controls were really decisive. And also in the long distance where there was this short loop after the arena passage, also where people made mistakes and it uh, I may, maybe it didn't really affect the medals, but it was really close to to affect the medals. So. Having a sprint race and a long distance race from the same arena and being able to offer high orienteering value in the end of both those events, that's uh, that's really good work. Uh, about mistakes in the end, uh, uh, there is uh, uh, maybe the mental issue also when you're passing the arena and Noel Brown got, got the message he's uh, leading and then he is uh, missing the next control or so. Uh, it could be, uh, but uh, even though I'm, I totally agree. And uh, about uh, the courses, uh, to pick one, the best course of the year. Yeah, I mean, uh, a few days ago, Jan Korsbach, he posted like an overview of the top 20 courses so far. And there was a lot of good courses. So some of the sprint courses were very nice. Uh, there was uh, one from... Uh, was it Maximus Umiting in, in Spain that looked very nice for a sprint course uh, or one with some crazy tunnel system uh, some good middle distances as always uh, but uh, 
for me, uh, my eyes are always on the on the long distance courses. Uh, so I could make a top five with only long distance races. Uh, so, for example, with the Swedish Championship, uh, the Czech Championship, the Jaywalk, uh, the Norwegian Ultra Long, or some race from the Italian Cup, where it was uh, in the same forest as the World Cup long distance was in Italy last year. So very very good options. And to not be too biased by my own experience from the Norwegian Ultra Long Champs um, that I was running myself, I, I have put that course in second place behind the Czech Championship Long Distance. Uh, <clears throat> terrain kind of similar as the, as the World Championship was last year, uh, but I think it was a really, really good course with uh, very tricky route choices. And some changes between like, yeah, you know, you have the route choices where there's a lot of running and then into these super detailed rocky areas with very quick orienteering. So it was a, yeah, it was a great course. And uh, I expect most of the people that uh, are listening to our podcast, they are also regulars on World of Woo and they, they have probably seen the course. But if you haven't seen the course from the Czech Championship long distance, you should go have a look on that. And about uh, bias, uh, your own club, uh, Tyrving, had a Norwegian long-distance champs. Uh, so you don't think your club mates uh, is up to top five here in the world? No, I mean, uh, that was also a very nice area. And uh, I also had a very good experience. Mental support, me- mentally, mentally a very good experience from that race. I mean, I just love it being running long, long races in in the Nordic forests where it's so quiet and uh, you see a bird, you see a runner every half hour or something like that. And the, otherwise you're just completely on your own. Um, but yeah, the, I think that co- course falls a bit short because there was a little bit lack of uh, tricky route choice legs. But even though uh, Magne Dali uh, managed to take a bad route choice and lose the opportunity to get the gold medal yeah you know sometimes it's funny because uh, sometimes runners they do uh, some strange mental gymnastic and they end up creating route choices that probably shouldn't be a route choice at all uh, from route choices to uh, a race or a course that you really wish you could have been running this year have you seen yeah. something yeah and you know I'm still too young to take part in the world masters and I'm happy about that uh, but I think that I really would have liked to run the forest races uh, of this year's World Masters. It was held in Italy, outside of the city of Puglia, a uh, forest area called Umbra. And I think it looks really, really nice. You know, the map, and the course looks really challenging. Uh, I think it was in the middle distance. It was so tricky that Daniel Hubman, he made so big mistakes that he didn't even win the Man 35. Uh, so, you know, from, yeah second place at the world masters middle distance to third place at world cup uh, middle distance in just a few weeks Um, so it it looked really tricky and you know italian summer you know with the italian ice cream and pizza after the race yeah that sounds like uh, it looks like a really fun course to run and i think that would have been a great experience to go there and run run that race uh, and enjoy the italian summer so yeah that's the one i really miss from this year yeah it looks uh, really nice and uh, it was uh, yeah definitely really challenging yeah um yeah and uh, to take it to the other uh, contrast is there something you 
really happy that you didn't run this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, uh, there are some good candidates there, uh, but the best one is uh, Rones Stafetten. Uh, no, it's organized every spring north of Stockholm. Generally, it's a quite nice spring relay. Not the best competition, not the best forest often, but uh, you know it's always fun with the with the with the Swedish relays in the spring. Uh, but this year it was quite special because the the winter was uh, a bit late, and the, in the beginning of the courses there was this really flat area that was overflown with ice water. You know where there was this ice. Yeah, the frozen in the bottom around. and then uh, water on top. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, and you know with with the ice like ice rocks floating around in the water too. So, you know, it must have been so cold. And, you know, the runners, they had to cross this area. There was still some parts where it was icy still, so they break through the ice, uh, you know, cutting the calves and stuff like that. It looks just horrible cold and really uncomfortable. And we will put some pictures of this uh, up on our Instagram. So if you haven't seen them, when you're listening to this, if you haven't seen our Instagram post about this, go have a look at that because it looks absolutely horrible. So, I mean, nothing wrong with the courses, nothing wrong with the organization or anything, but just just this flat overflow area with ice water. It's, uh, it's really, really, really something I'm glad I didn't have to do. And uh, from that one uh, to uh, the most disappointing course setting of the year. Yeah, I mean, there are some... And we are we are not keeping to the big to the really really big events. So there are some candidates to pick from. Uh, I was a bit disappointed about the the Yukula course setting, uh, not the courses itself, but the fact that basically all the legs went in the same corridor. So there was uh, a lot of tracks, uh, a lot of tracks. Normally, you know, at Yukula, people are running at every possible direction in the forest different legs goes in different directions in different forest areas of the of the area uh, but here it felt like this year it felt like everything was in the same kind of corridor so uh, it didn't matter if uh, which leg you were running if you were long leg you were running the same the same the same the same lines in the forest and therefore it was a lot of extra track compared to what it would normally be i guess uh, but they i they are not uh, they are not going all the way in this in this award, I have to give it to Tiumila, uh, but it's not really the organizer's fault uh, because there was uh, just a few months before the before the event, uh, the organizer had to change the courses a lot uh, because the military wouldn't let them use the area that was planned to be used, uh, and that led to the beginning of the courses being pretty dull, you know, with the area around the ski tracks. And for the shorter legs, both in the men and in women's relay, I think uh, the quality of the orienteering challenge uh, was not very high uh, because of the limited area they had to work with. So that was a shame. But yeah, of course, but... not really the organizer's fault. No, they have an, uh, quite a good excuse there. And, uh, and uh, for those big events also, it's uh, a compromise because you have to have a good arena arena uh, to have uh, yeah to be maybe dry and uh, uh, the arena had to be big enough for uh, hosting so much people and, and then it's uh, maybe uh, you have to compromise with the courses but uh, they didn't solve it so good when they had to 
uh, make uh, new courses for second time. Yeah, and of course I haven't I haven't seen the original courses, but uh, that area of the forest that they were not allowed to use it looks uh, like it would have been really fun to to run there. So it was a it was a shame that the, those plan was uh, had to be changed. And of course I think it was really good that they were able to get. Yeah, I mean the the, the courses weren't bad or anything, but it was very disappointing compared to what we were hoping for before uh, but of course we didn't know the before that the, the military said no to use the nice area uh, but from uh, disappointment to a really great performance uh, if i challenge you to pick uh, yeah the best relay leg of this season in a club relay yeah i mean here there are so many great candidates uh, i mean for example gustav bergman he won the last leg at both Timila and Jukola. Uh, of course, Jukola's competition was not the hardest because many of the top runners were skipping Jukola. Uh, but I think he did two really, really solid relay legs there. Uh, from Timila, there was in the winning team both Lucas Lilan on the long night and Luca Basse on the second last leg did really, really good uh, relay running there. Uh, from the women's relay, Tone Lee was running the long, unforked leg in the front for Nidal and increasing the lead to the teams chasing closest behind. Uh, for Swedish champs, for example, we had Sanna Fast with a fantastic leg there where she was more than uh, about six minutes faster than the second fastest. So that could be a, a good candidate. So now I mentioned a lot of big names, you know, runners that are running internationally, but I'm going for a special one here. And we are back to Tiumila in Örebro. And we are looking at the fourth leg, the short, short leg just before the long night. And you know, before the long night, it's so important to get into the into the right group because if you're in the right group you know, for long night, that can mean many, many minutes. So one minute faster on a short leg before the long night can mean five minutes gained on the long night. Um, so here we are looking for Johan Giberg from Södertälje-Nikvarn a young Swedish runner without any international results, to, neither as a junior or as a senior, you know, uh, but he was the fastest on this fourth leg, about one and a half minute faster than the second last leg, second fastest runner on this leg. And it's so funny to look at the GPS in replay. It's very fascinating how he's getting closer and closer and closer to the leading pack. And he managed to catch the front group on the way to the last control catching about a minute on the last eight minutes of running. Um, so, I mean, I give the best relay leg of the season in a club relay to Johan Jiberg then for his fourth leg at Tiumila. That was uh, un... Uh, you couldn't see that coming. But if we if we are looking at the best relay leg of a season in a national team, I think... Uh, more of our listeners have heard about uh, the guy who, or the girl who will uh, take that uh, shout out. Yeah, I mean, if we just start with the latest one, we, we can say that there isn't, there hasn't been that many international relays. Uh, so, you know, we have the sprint relay in Budapest, you have the sprint relay at World Champs, you have the relay at European Champs, and you have the relay at the World Cup in Davos. So if we start with Davos, I mean, in the men's class, there was two performances that stood out to me. Uh, Ricardo Scalier, had a really good second leg for Italy, where he was the fastest. Uh, and Joey Hardorn had a really, really, really good 
last leg uh, where he secured a winner, secured a victory for Switzerland. And in the same in the women's relay, I think both Sarah Hagström and Sabine Hagsvit did really good on the second leg, or, but Simona Abersholt had a even better last leg. Um, European champs, Kasper Fosse had a really good second leg, creating the gap, uh, the winning gap for Norway. Uh, and Kenny Kivikas had a fantastic last leg for Estonia. It was just a shame that they had lost so much time on the first leg. Um, but I'm going for uh, Tuva Alexandersson here and her last leg at the World Champs Sprint Relay. She was 40 seconds faster than the second fastest on the last leg. And for those who remember, she started out with uh, Megan Carter-Davis in a battle for the gold medal. And she just completely ran away from her uh, and was about a minute faster on the leg than Megan that uh, later challenged her really well in knockout sprint and won the gold medal in sprint. So Tuve's last leg from the Wook sprint relay was really something special. Yeah, definitely. And it was a well-deserved uh, shout out there. But uh, about the relays, uh, uh, we have to give you some challenges there. Uh, if you should pick a relay team, uh, forest relay, three legs, uh, both men and women, uh, it's quite uh, difficult. But uh, And it also depends on terrains and so on. But uh, if we uh, say uh, the terrain is a relay for a relay in Estonia, uh, who would you pick in the in the women's teams first? We always take the women's first. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm going with a bit of a special setup for the team here. Uh, I really like the model that the Norwegian men team has done plenty of times in the last six seven years, where they put the best runner second leg to create the gap, and then have a guy that is uh, mentally strong and can keep the lead on the last leg. So I'm going for that in the both setups here. So in the women's team, I'm going for first leg. First leg, you want something, someone that is really stable, someone you can trust that they will perform, uh, not necessarily a 10 out of 10 performance, but performing an eight out of 10 most days in the week. Uh, so I'm going for Lina Strand on the first leg. She has a lot of experience from relay. And I think I have an impression that she's almost all the time performing very close to her best in the relay. So putting her on first leg and then Tove on the second leg to, um, to, to make the gap. And then on the last leg, I pick Andrine Benjaminsen uh, because she is often delivering very, very good relay legs. Uh, and she's also very, very strong in a head-to-head -head duel at the at the last few controls if that's needed. So Lina Strand, Tove Alexandersson and Andrine Benjaminsen is my dream team for a women's relay. Uh, and then we have the men's relay. Yeah, I mean, uh, some of the names you can, of course, uh, you can guess quite easily on beforehand, but I'm going for a surprise pick on the first leg here. Uh, so, you know, for the first leg, you want someone that is stable, someone you can trust, and often, you know, want someone that is experienced. Uh, but I'm going for someone with not a lot of experience, but one that has shown great performances at relays first leg this year, both at the, the World Cup in Davos and uh, European champs in Estonia. So I'm going for Simon Imark. Uh, he seems to be a runner that you can really trust, like he's stable, uh, he's able to uh, to keep calm. And what's really what was really impressive during the World Cup relay in Davos was that when he had a short forking, he was able to like take advantage of that and he was running half the leg 
alone in the lead. Um, so I'm going Simon Imark on the first leg, then Kasper Fosser on the second to create the gap and Gustav Bergman to uh, to take it home on the last leg. He is always the best uh, uh, split times on the uh, best leg times on the last leg. But about yeah, the, the also, set- you know, you also know when you when you have someone that is supposed to maybe have a little bit of a lead out, you want someone that is really confident. And I mean, there isn't. I can't mention an orienteer that is seemingly more confident than Gustav Bergman. So if if there is one runner I would send out with half a minute lead, uh, it's Gustav. Uh, about uh, the setup pair, uh, I, I I was a bit. Uh, I should have liked to see uh, Olaf Lundenes on the last leg in Östfold against uh, Gustav Bergman, uh, as we are now talking. That could be a clash of the titans there, but uh, that's too late, and uh, the setup in the Norwegian team wasn't uh, that uh, on that day. But I think that would be uh, then we could have seen uh, who is uh, the man of the champ well i mean uh, if you're looking at that specific uh, duel i mean the man of the champ is of course the guy that is winning both individual races so <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's true but uh, then he could have been uh, winning uh, all the three races yeah same as no, i think uh, in general for, for for the spectators it's more fun in a way to see all the best runners running on the last leg uh but i think the you know because of the last leg it's uh, always the last part of the course is always unforked so in theory if the best runner are running the second leg he will have a more a bigger part of the course to be forked where he can have a bigger chance to get away from uh, away from the other runners so that's why i i like the idea of having the best runner on the second leg but uh, now, if we're um, walking or running from the forest to the urban areas and uh, uh, challenge for a sprint relay team, uh, uh, where you could uh, go for a team with only Swedish runners, maybe. Uh, but uh, uh, would you do that, or would who will you choose then? No, 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 no. I mean, uh, one Swede is enough. Maybe you could put two, but I'm going for one. Um, so yeah, um, I would uh, if you start with the first leg, you know, there's a women, and you know, there are plenty of good candidates here. We have Megan Parker Davis, the world champion, you have Simon Abershold, you have Antina Benjamin, you have Lina Strand, for example. Uh, but I'm going for Elena Ross, uh, she's been basically all the time running last leg for Switzerland in sprint relays. Uh, but I will put her first, uh, I think her. Physically, she is one of the strongest girls, and I think she is always performing very well at the sprint relays. So, if she's performing well at the sprint relay running last leg, she could also do that on the first leg. So, her on the first leg, and then Matthias Kibus on the second leg, Casper uh, Fosser on the third, and uh, then Tove on the last leg. Sounds like uh, a really, really great uh, uh, sprint relay team, but. Uh... A uh, guy like uh, Emil Svansk is missing. Uh, could he uh, attempt for uh, one of the mid uh, legs here? Of course. I mean, Emil Svansk and Kibbutz, they have been running so, so many good uh, sprint wheeler legs. Uh, Kasper Hosse is 
a bit new to the show, you know, but he's uh, the be- he's the best in the world, you know, winning the world championship. And he's also had some pretty astonishing performances in sprint, really. Uh, but I think if if one of Matthias or Kasper is sick, then I would have Emil Svensk as my first reserve. He's uh, first reserve there, but uh, I think uh, he will be uh, in the Swedish team uh, for uh, sprint relays uh, also next year. Uh, going from uh, those shoutouts and uh, challenges uh, to uh, actually how many races uh, the runners have been running this season. I uh, It came to my ear uh, that uh, the Norwegian prof- professional cyclist Andreas Lechnesund, have you heard of him? Yeah, uh, I'm a big cycling fan, so I spend a lot of time watching all the uh, different kind of races during the, the year. So yeah, I know him a bit. Uh, as we know, a cyclist uh, doing a lot of competing during a season, and he had uh, summarized 68 competitions this season. Uh, and when I heard that, I had to do uh, some uh, journalistic work and ask uh, some of our runners in the orienteering world uh, how many competitions uh, they have been running. So I uh, took uh, took a short. Um, uh, selection and uh, asked a couple of runners uh, uh, like Jürgen Barkley because he is uh, doing both orienteering and ski orienteering Ersting Wallersterbø because as we know he is always uh, competing a lot Marie Olausen uh, to get a traditional runner uh, living in Sweden Askel Schinneberg uh, because uh, my feeling was that uh, he had been running a lot this season both uh, in Swedish league Uring and and so on didn't you also have the same feeling um at least he was running a lot more than he usually does uh, but i think maybe maybe it's been that he has been not competing so much the last 5 years or something that now make it us feel like he's competing all the time uh, so it's so... interesting to see the numbers he has so I uh, was maybe a bit biased there. Uh, Andrine Bannimensen to get one of the best in the women's class. Magne Dali, because I thought, uh, uh, my feeling was that he had been running a few few races this season. Uh, how is your take on that? Yeah, uh, he is definitely in the in the bottom scale of this, of this group of runners. And then uh, Kasper Fossa, I uh, uh, I uh, uh, asked uh, because, as uh, you said, uh, the best uh, in the world in the men's class, and Tuva Alexanderson, the best in the world in the women's class, and also feeling that she, she is competing a lot, even though he, she has quitted ski orienteering. Oh, though she had two ski orienteering races this weekend. But uh, even though I, my feeling was that she is competing quite a lot. And uh, when I've uh, been uh, mentioning all those names, uh, do you have any clue who uh, was uh, most uh, competing in 2022? Uh, yeah, you know, my money would be on Eysting Kvålösterberg, you know, counting all his uh, World Masters and Park World Tour and he's traveling so much, running races all over the world. So I, I have to guess him. Uh, it's a it's a really good uh, guess, but there is uh, one guy who is uh, beating him. Ooh, interesting. So should I guess the, who that is? Yeah, you could try. From the one you mentioned, I would guess Jürgen Barklid. 
Uh, yeah, yeah. Because he's doing skewering theory and he's also, yeah, he's in that phase of the his career where he has to do all the Norwegian Cup races to try to get in the team. Uh, he's doing all the Norwegian champs because he's doing both sprint and forest. He was running Uringen, he was running world student champs, he's been running some international races. Uh, and of course, I guess he has about 10, 15, 20 ski orienteering races as well. Yeah, he's a world champion and a world cup winner in ski orienteering and world cup runner in orienteering. And he has done uh, 75 official competitions uh, in 2022. And then uh, he was not counting the two ski orienteering races this weekend. And, uh, yeah, so about 80 then. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's quite a lot. Actually, that's quite actually. A lot. And, uh, and then we can, uh, number two was your uh, number one, is then Kualusterberg. He has approximately 62. Uh, yeah. And he is also telling that uh, the latest years, it has been uh, around 60, 70 in the last 10 years. Yeah, I think um, this year he's not been running that much forest races in Norway. So I think maybe that's where he's losing a bit compared to previous years. Yeah, but uh, before those 10 years, he had some a couple of more because then he was also competing in ski orienteering. Mm. And uh, then we can just go through uh, the list. Uh, Marie Olausen, she has uh, about uh, 30 uh, competitions. Yeah, Askel... that's not a lot. No, that was not uh, so much. Askel Schinneberg, about 40 competitions. Uh, quite... Uh, quite uh... Uh, quite a lot. Uh, Andrine Banjamensen, 31 to 35, comparing if uh, it's uh, qualifying or uh, all, only final in the sprint races. And yeah, we're okay. maybe not and, counting uh, the same uh, here, but uh, yeah. you get the feeling. Yeah, and now you have to let me guess for Magna Daily. Yeah. I'm guessing 17. No, 32 he has uh, counted. 32? So, uh, yeah, what? I was uh, I was uh, really surprised there. So, uh, so maybe Whoa. he's uh, also counting uh, club competitions and so on. Yeah, and he's probably also counting the races he didn't finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, but Caspar uh, Fossa, he is uh, not competing a lot. Uh, Twenty-six uh, in orienteering and uh, four in uh, running or athletics. Yeah, and we know he had some problems this year. So, for example. Uh, he made his he made his first forest race at Tiumila, so he didn't run much races in the spring at all, um, and then he didn't compete that much in the autumn either. So yeah. So uh, and uh, to Alexanderson, uh, she said she had twenty, but I think yeah, that uh, can be a, a big question mark of counting of races there. But that has to be just orienteering races and. Uh, it sounds a bit low, even if she she didn't run Uring in this year, or she started the first leg and then she yeah. didn't run the rest. But I mean, World Cup races, World Championship, European Champs, World Cup in Davos, if you count all the relays and, and the qualification races, for example. Uh, yeah, I mean, she didn't run that much in the Swedish League. She didn't run everything in Swedish Champs, I think, either. So, yeah, uh, it of could course, be... that's a low number for her. Normally, she's doing a lot more. Yeah, but we can uh, put put on those two uh, ski orienteering competitions. Then we have 22. 
Yeah, and then, you know, if you add, I guess she's been running some uh, running races as well. And then the ski mountaineering competitions during the winter yeah. would, take the, would take the number a lot higher. But uh, what do you think uh, about uh, those uh, numbers? What are uh, those numbers telling us uh, about uh, the cyclist? It was, wow, he's uh, doing 68. Yeah, but you know, also Andreas Lechnesund, he's a young cyclist. So he's not one of those doing the most. There are plenty of riders that are doing 80 or even 90 competitions a day. Uh, but I'm not sure if we should really compare Dorian Tears with, uh, with the cyclists. Uh, and I think we should rather look at the orienteers compared to each other. And I mean, most of these runners, they are at the top level. They are established in the national teams. They know that they will be running international events and therefore they are not competing that much. While Jörgen Barklid, for example, that is much younger, uh, he has to take part in a lot more races to show himself, to prove himself. Uh, so I think that the, the better you get, the the lower the number would be. And uh, and Nelson Kolostber, he is uh, just loving to compete and do orienteering. But uh, yeah, and he is also you know kind of past his best days. So yeah, he he's not really in the fight for world champ spots anymore. And I think that also affects the competition plan a little bit. Uh, but we could read in the late, latest or maybe last is issue of the Orienteering magazine in Norway that uh, he still has ambitions uh, for uh, international uh, performances. Uh, but we will see. We will see. Uh, about uh, ambitious, uh, if you are an ambitious uh, coach, have you seen uh, the appliments from Helsinki in Sundestad? They are looking for a coach. Uh, is that something you could be eager to jump on? Uh, well, in general, I think being coach for Helsinki Sundestad, that would be a really, really cool job. Uh, it's such a big club. And they also have a very, very, very interesting group of elite runners now. We have talked a bit about them earlier in this autumn because of some of the silly season acquisitions they've been doing this autumn with some very, very promising runners and solid relay runners to add up with already a strong team. So I think uh, being the coach for Helsinki Sundestad would be really, really interesting for several reasons, but mainly because of the uh, what you could bring for the team uh, in the big relays. But they have also a big, big youth uh, organization, a big, big uh, they are a big, big club, so it would be a really fun job to have. But of course, uh, I've just do, been doing five years in Tyrving, uh, a lot smaller club, and I'm not in, in the market. But I hope that there are others, other orienteering coaches that would uh, would be interesting in such a job. Uh, it must be one of the most interesting uh, coaching jobs, uh, talking clubs in uh, in the whole orienteering world. Or what do you say? Yeah, and I, I'm not sure if they have had... I don't think they've had a paid head coach like this before. So then you, if you come in as the first coach, uh, the first paid head coach, I mean, you also have a lot of possibilities to form the organization the way, the way you want. So, I mean, this is, uh, this is a really, really interesting uh, opening. And uh, if you're interested in this, uh, you have to apply before uh, mid-January. 
Så so, uh, just Google Helsingin syns det att en put in an appointment or at least uh, tell them that you are interested to know some more about this uh, coaching job. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see in a few weeks then who got the job. I mean, if it is someone that uh, is a known orienteering coach or if there is someone that is uh, new to the whole coaching thing. Uh, so this this one is something we will follow closely. Definitely. And uh, for uh, ending this episode, uh, what's hot in this uh, week? Yeah, I mean, the, we talked a bit earlier about the course of the year. And the voting for course of the year at the World of Wu, uh, it closes on Wednesday this week, 21st of December. Uh, so go in there, vote for your favorite. And uh, if you're lucky, you can even win a very nice prize by voting. Uh, and uh, go in there and just uh, enjoy all the nice courses that have been uh, set uh, of the volunteers in uh, 2022. It's been uh, really quite good uh, work uh, all around the world by course setting setters and course setting uh, as usual. But uh, yeah, just uh, yeah, and imagine that you're running in this forest. Uh, do we also have a knot this season? I not really a knot, but uh, let's uh, let's do it like this. So uh, we will be a bit lazy and we will take a short Christmas holiday. Uh, I will be high up in the Swiss mountains without uh, reliable internet and therefore this will be the last normal episode of 2022. So we are doing, uh, after 22 weeks in a row, we are taking one week break. Uh, but uh, Haugen has uh, recorded some interviews, so we will release some extras during the Christmas holidays to, to keep you entertained. Uh, but otherwise, see you in 2023 for uh, another normal episode. And Merry Christmas to everyone. Yeah, I will uh, just fill in. And uh, remember to listen to the bonus episodes uh, in, in between uh, Christmas and uh, New Year's Eve. That will be good for you when you're relaxing and uh, having a Christmas holiday. Thank you a lot for uh, this year then. See you next year. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Raul Ferra, head coach of Harden Ski Club. And I always listen to Ivar National Orienting Podcast to get the best overviews and analysis of the main events in the orienting season. Ivar National Orienting Podcast, mapping compass, navigation skill, orienting competition. Running like a motherfucker. Ivar National Orienting Podcast.